around the world. The Spirit is moving and a voice is being heard. Welcome to The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford. You can write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. We'll give you that address again at the close of today's broadcast. But here now is David Langford. Good evening, friends. David Langford here. We'd like to welcome you to The Voice of Evangelism International Ministries. Today is Tuesday. July the 13th, 2021, and we welcome each of you today. And as always, it is our prayer and our desire that the Holy Spirit of God would touch your life. He would touch your life powerfully and strengthen your hand and move you in a direction uh, toward him, the foot of the cross. We're living in a very sinful and vile and wicked world Few people today, regrettably, are truly contending for the faith. Let me ask you today, are you truly contending for the faith? You know, Jesus admonished the believer constantly to contend for the faith. Regrettably, many people just aren't doing that today, but Christ wants you to do that. I think of the words of Christ and Luke chapter 13, verse 24, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Why are they not able to enter in? He told us. Because they did not strive. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be what? They shall not be able. Why are they not able? Because they are not striving. They are not contending. The Christianity that's being preached and advocated today does not demand striving. Striving. I was watching an interview some time ago. Uh, Joey Osteen was being interviewed, and the lady just plain out asked him, why don't you ever preach on hell, the other side of the message? Now, here's a secular person asking a minister, why don't you ever do that? He said, well, people are beat up enough, so I just, I'm going to just preach the other side all the time. Here's a secular, worldly person, doesn't claim to even be a Christian, but says, why don't you preach on hell? Why don't you do that? You see, innately, everyone knows there's a right and there's a wrong. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. They may not know all theological, doctrinal dogma, but they know there's right, they know there's wrong, and you have to preach both the right and the wrong. Before we get into our message today, I do want to remind you again of our upcoming revival meeting in Heritage USA in Fort Mill, South Carolina, right off Interstate I-77, September the 30th through October the 3rd. We profusely encourage you to make plans. Bring a friend. Bring a loved one. Come. Let's fellowship. Let's have church. Let's have a time of great, great fellowship, a time of coming together and being ministered to by the Word and by the Spirit of God. I'll be speaking. Russ Dizdar will be there speaking. Jimmy D. Smith, Paul Jacobs, and we're waiting on some other 
confirmation because we do have another slot open. And so please go to our website at www.thevoiceofevangelism.com and register. We're doing everything we can on our part to help to to facilitate this meeting. I trust you'll do your part and come and attend. We're trying to make these as as revival-centered as possible. You know, I'm not interested in a lot of things. I'm interested in a move of God. That's what we all need, something that will last us, something that we can take away when we leave, and we can say, truly, it has been good to have been in the presence of God. God wants to bless our hearts and bless our lives immensely. I want to play a beautiful song by the Gaithers today entitled, I Believe in a Hill Called Mount Calvary. I can't emphasize it enough. The free gift of salvation was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And once we understand that, you'll see yourself grow exponentially because you'll be able to understand it was through the blood through the blood that was shed on Calvary. Romans 3 and 25 says, Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission or forgiveness of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Jesus is that propitiation. Jesus satisfied God's demand for sin's debt. Jesus alone satisfied God's demand for sin's debt. No man, no man could satisfy God's demand for sin's debt. There's nothing that we can do. The propitiation is basically what God demanded as far as a sacrifice, substitutional sacrifice for each of us. Jesus was the atonement for our sins and nothing that we can do. Listen to the words of the song, I Believe in a Hill Called Mount Calvary.
in the cross solely solely in the cross where Jesus died and paid for our sins we want to pick up today in Romans chapter 6 verse 2 where Paul profusely elaborated when he said God forbid how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein if we're dead to sin why do we seek to live or remain in a sinful lifestyle? God forbid that the Christian live in sin. Now, I know these contemporary churches. The word contemporary means that which intersects with what's taking place now. You've heard the phrase, that's contemporary furniture. Well, I'm a, I like traditional furniture personally. But we're not talking about physical. We're talking spiritual. When something is spiritually contemporary, it is more times than not wrong because it intersects, it is concurrent with the world. True spiritual worship does not intersect with Christ. Let me, let me say it this way. Maybe I missaid that. True spiritual worship does not intersect with the world. 
because Christ does not intersect with the world. He's, he is separate. He is different. And men are trying to bring this into the church. We, that's why we call it secular. It's secular. It's worldly. Well, that's contemporary worship. That's this or that. You'll find when men move in a contemporary mindset, means, mode, or method, they're going in the wrong direction. And where do, where do they get the idea? Where do they get the impetus? Where do they get the formula? They get it from the world. They don't get it from the Holy Spirit. They get it from the world. Paul said we are to be dead to sin. When you are dead to the sin, you do not live a life that is filled with lust. Neither do we bask in the pleasure sin brings to the flesh. We're told in Hebrews 11, there is pleasure in sin for a season. God does not lie to us. God does not tell us there's not enjoyment and fleshly carnal sins. He, he doesn't say there's no enjoyment in it. But the, the enjoyment is what brings the damnation, the destruction. Hebrews 11 and 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. What is he saying there? Moses chose to cast his lot with a bunch of vagabonds, slaves called Israelites. He chose that rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin, the riches, the rewards of Egypt, more than the things of God. He, he said, I'm, I'm not going to choose that. Yet there is pleasure in that. But I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to cast my lot with what the world would say a bunch of losers. These are vagabonds. They're slaves. They're dirty. They're nasty, et cetera, et cetera. But he chose suffering. Think of that. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Now, you hear a message today that talks nothing about affliction or suffering. But that's all hyperbole. Than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He chose rather to suffer affliction than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. In Galatians 5 and 16, Paul said, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh, these are contrary one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. You see, when the flesh lusts, it is in opposition to your spirit and the Holy Spirit. But Paul said, if you'll walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, you won't have that problem. Anytime anyone lives in the flesh, your life is more arduous, your life is more difficult. I'm not talking about just a moment. A, a, a brief moment of losing your temper, saying a curse word, or looking at something that you should not have looked at. I'm talking about living over a period of time a life of sin, gratifying your flesh. I remember a gentleman divorced his wife. I knew them both very well. 
And he met another woman, by the way, at a church. They were both in church. That's what is astounding to me. They were in a mega church. They divorced in that church. I don't know what happened to his wife, but I know this man divorced his wife, and then he met another woman in the church and married her, and now they're divorced. There's something wrong in a church when those things are happening all the time. But he introduced me to this lady, and, and after he did, and privately, uh, in privacy, I said, leave her alone. Leave her alone. You're messing up. Oh, no, 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 no. Leave her alone. To make a long story short, he married her. It may have lasted a year. He told me horrendous things, how she keyed his car, done, done so many evil things. And I could see what was attracting him was the flesh. The flesh. It wasn't virtue. It wasn't godliness. It wasn't righteousness. It was the flesh, the carnal flesh, the Adamic part of humanity. That's what he was attracted to. That's why it didn't last. It wasn't love. It was lust. It was covetousness. And somehow the devil convinces us if we can get this fleshly carnal thing, now we're going to suddenly be fulfilled. We're, we're, now we're going to be happy. Now we're going to be satisfied. You can never satisfy the flesh, folks. Don't ever think the flesh can be satisfied. I've said it for many, many years. From the time a child is two or three years old, they're always grabbing, 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 grabbing with their hands. It, it doesn't cease. And as a parent, don't touch that. Leave that alone. Get away from there. But you know, when someone dies, their hands grab no more. Their hands grab and grasp no more. Why? The flesh is dead. It doesn't grasp. It doesn't grope. It doesn't grab. It doesn't handle anymore. That's the way we are to live in Jesus now. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice the first phrase, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But it's not Paul. It's Christ living in me. Paul is dead. When something is dead, it is dead. I've said this many times, you've heard me say it. You can take a decedent lying in a casket in repose before the, 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 the church. You can walk up to the casket and say, you sorry, worthless, good for nothing, whatever. There's no response from the person at all. Why? They're dead. You could say, you were the most grandiose, articulate, handsome, debonair person I've ever met as a, as a man. There's no response. Same thing as a woman. Most gorgeous, most beautiful, uh, brightest, intellectual, charming, uh, southern genteel lady. They don't say anything. Why? They're dead. They, they don't respond to those words. If we're crucified in Christ, we won't respond through our flesh. We'll say, I am not going there. 
I'm not going to get in that trouble. Listen, you can see the trouble before it ever comes. It's the old cliche, the forbidden fruit. You see it, you recognize it, you know it for what it is, and you know you shouldn't go there. But that temptation from Satan wants to pull us and draw us into that which God does not want us to have or partake of. But again, we all have free will. You can do what you want to. You can resist the devil. He will flee from you. And you can draw nigh to God, and God will draw nigh to you. Or you can entertain the devil and ultimately suffer the consequences. You can't entertain the devil and not suffer some element of consequences. Galatians 5, verses 24-25. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, again, you have to crucify your flesh. God's not going to do that for you. You've heard me say this. I can pray for you. I can't do your praying for you. It is up to you to resist the devil. Spirit-filled, spirit-led Christians refrain from serving sin and its corrupt power. Again, I'm not talking about missing the mark. I'm talking about living a lifestyle of sin. You got to get away from that. You got to get away from living like that. Every believer, every believer faces the same difficulties in following Christ, no matter their pedigree, no matter their nationality. There is lust in Japan. There's lust in Vietnam. There's lust in, in the Philippines. Uh, there's, there's lust in China. There's lust in Russia. There's lust in Australia. It's everywhere. Men are alike. They may speak a different language. Their facial features may be different, but the Adamic sinful nature is there. Therefore, the need to crucify the flesh is the same for all men. To the church at Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Now I want you to listen to this passage. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Mortify. That's the first word there in verse 5. Mortify. Have you ever heard a preacher even use that word mortify? What does that mean? Put to death. Put to death. So now let's look at it. Mortify or put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate, lustful affection, inordinate or lustful affection, evil concupiscence, meaning strong sexual desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake, the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. These are children who have not been redeemed, and the which ye also walked sometime, meaning before your conversion, when you lived in them. Notice the phrase, when you lived in them. 
We're talking about living a lifestyle of fornication, uncleanness, lustful affection, sexual desires, covetousness, meaning idolatry. And if you live like that, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. These are children who've never been redeemed by the blood. And we know that because Paul closes out here in verse 6, in the which ye also walked some time when you lived in them. Regrettably, sad to say, I walked in that one time. I, I, I hate to admit that, but it's the truth. Why am I transparent like this at times? I want you to understand I know what I'm talking about. I'm not Mr. Goody Two-Shoes here that doesn't know anything, hasn't experienced anything, or, or hasn't ever backslidden terribly. I have. And, and the things that Paul's talking about, regrettably, I did it. And many of you listening to me, you did it. You did it. And, and when you live like this, when, when you start reaping what you sowed, you get frustrated, you get angry, and sometimes if you're not careful, you'll get bitter toward God because you're like, well, I'm living right now, I'm living like I should, but why do I keep suffering this? Because you sowed it, then you must reap it. This, this is not being critical of any person listening. Do not, please, do not take this critically. Do not take this and as a, an impingement on your life. The great One of the greatest blessings in my life was never getting married while I was in sin. I can look back now and say, God, thank you. Thank you for never allowing, tolerating, suffering that part in my life. That's why I was two months of being 27 years old when I got married. Why am I so grateful? I don't have a lot or I don't have anything in that context to deal with. I, I don't have children from a previous marriage. I, I, I don't have divorce on my credit rating. There's just a lot of things that comes along in that. And, and that's not to be critical of anyone. And, and please, don't take that, that I'm criticizing you or finding fault in you. You know what it's brought into your life. It has brought hurt. It has brought grievous burdens in your life. And I know if you could go back and change it, you would, but you can't change the past. This is why when I came back to the Lord and started preaching, I encourage every person, start sowing good seed as soon as you possibly can so you can reap the blessings of the Lord and not the wages of sin. You're going to be rewarded one way or the other. Either the wages of sin are going to be your reward or living for Jesus and he will bless and reward you with good things. We, 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 we can't believe we can just live anyway and there are no consequences. You know, the law of average will get every person in due time. I'm serious. It, 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 it will get you speed every day of your life. You will ultimately get a speeding ticket. 
Not only if you speed every day will you get a speeding ticket, you have, the, you have a greater opportunity to have an automobile accident. And then not only hurt your life or take your life, but someone else's. You can't go against what God has said is right and live, think you can live wrong and not suffer any consequences. You know, Solomon talked about hastening the day of your death, being foolish, being reckless. Why, why do you want to do that? I remember uh, when, I, when I came back to the Lord in 1978, I had an old Harley, uh, had an extended front end. It was a hardtail frame, had a 750 Honda engine on it, profusely built. And I remember leaving the mall one day in Gastonia, and I was going down the ramp. And before I even got on Interstate 85, I was doing like 115 or 120. I was probably third, fourth gear. I don't remember now. But I looked down, and I'm, I'm, I'm bumping 115, 120, and the Holy Spirit says, why are you tempting me? This is, this is crazy. Well, I went home, and I sold my motorcycle. Had a 69 Chevelle built to the gills. I sold, I sold everything I had because everything at that time in my life was fundamentally carnal, it just carnal, fleshly. And, and I began to slowly but surely and succinctly change my lifestyle, literally. I got rid of my Chevelle, you know, 396, punched out to a 402, balanced, blueprinted, four-speed, 456 gear, 750 double-pumper Holly carburetor, forged pistons, ZL1 cam, all the good stuff. And I went from that to a 1973 Pontiac Catalina two-door, 400, two-barrel. But I had electric seats. I had electric windows. I had cruise control. I changed everything. Why? Because what was in my life fundamentally was all carnal. Now, again, those were works. They did not save me, but I understood if I would change my environment, it would be more easy for me to live for the Lord. I cut off all my friends. I just, I, I broke fellowship and I began to build new friends and new relationships in church. Instead of going off Saturday night and get high and bar hop, I'd get together with uh, like-minded Christians and, and go somewhere and maybe bowl or go play putt-putt and have dinner, etc. I changed everything in my life. Why? I wanted to keep what God had given me. And you can't do that living in the flesh. You just can't do it. Now, you'll be mocked. Look at him. Look at himself righteous. Holier than thou, they say. No. No. You know, if you, if, you, if you broke your arm through something silly or stupid and the physician put a cast and it healed and you go back and do the same thing again and break your arm, when you walk back into the hospital or the emergency room and the same doctor sees you, he's going to think you're crazy when he finds out what you did. You mean you did it again? You, you, you pulled that cynical, foolish stunt again? You, you were healed. You were made whole again. But, but you go back and you do that again? And then people say, well, God's not fair. Let me tell you something about the world. The world is never fair. It's cruel. 
It is unjust or unjust. It is inhumane. The world is selfish. The world is carnal. And regrettably, we all suffer when we live by the flesh. These identifiable sins here in, in, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, many of you, including myself, I'm number one, I'm guilty, lived that life, lived that life, lived that sinful, degraded, debased life. Some of you, you wanted to get high every day, every day, whether it was uh, drugs, whether it was alcohol, pot, whatever the case might be, you, you sought to get high every day. Now, why, why do people pursue a high? It's to escape reality. It's, it's, it's wanting to detach yourself from what is really around you. Now, what I'm getting ready to say is some of you won't understand this. This is how you start dealing and living in the dark side. Because you're trying to leave reality and go into another world that is not real. Drunkenness is not a permanent state. It is a temporary fix for the motion, the mind, pot, crack, cocaine, meth, whatever. It doesn't last. And, and so when you come down and now reality is, back set, is set back in, job, marriage, whatever the case might be, well, I got to get high again. Why? Trying to escape reality. You're not going to escape reality. But as a Christian, we have the grace of God that helps us to deal with that which is difficult. I've said it, and I'll say it again. I sound redundant at times. I know it. I get down to pray. My circumstance, my situation has not changed. But I personally now feel better because I've been in the presence of God. And he helps me to deal with that which I'm struggling with. And it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what it is in anyone's life. Everyone struggles in different ways. But the only way to deal with it is through Jesus, the Lord's Christ. He's the one that helps us navigate these things. Let's look at verse 3, Romans 6, verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Now, let me say, first of all, Paul is not addressing water baptism. This is not water baptism. Don't confuse this with water baptism. He's addressing being baptized into the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we take up residence there, and we become a part of his body. We now are flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone. We become a member of his body. Now, what member am I? Well, that's up to you and God to determine where you are in the body. Are you eyes, ears, nose, whatever? Preacher, teacher, singer, musician, 
uh, a prayer warrior, armor bearer? What, what, what is your role in the body of Christ? Know you not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus, were baptized into his death. Now, this baptism in the body of Christ happens at the new birth. It's not a physical baptism. It is not a water baptism. It is a spiritual baptism. You don't get a certificate. You don't get a phone call. You don't get an email. You don't get anything. It is by faith we believe we are saved, and because we believe we are saved by faith, we are now baptized into Christ's body. I want you to get that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether it be we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Now, there will be some. Now listen to me. This is going to start a controversy here. Some would say, well, Pastor Lankford, I believe you're a good man. I believe you're trying to do right. But you haven't went through all the protocols. You're not saved. You're not saved. I like you. I think you're a good man, whatever the case might be. But you're not saved. Because you didn't do what we teach you have to do, the traditions of men. Colossians 3.8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Not after Christ. This is the danger. This is, this is the danger of so many people. I think I said Colossians 3.8, Colossians 2.8. Colossians 2.8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain or worthless deception after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Don't let men tell you you're not saved because you didn't do something. Now, I can tell a man, if he's living a drunken life, he says, I'm still a Christian. I'm going to say, no, brother, you're not saved. You're not mortifying the deeds of the flesh. Well, I know I'm living with this gal, but I'm still a Christian. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're deceiving yourself. But I'm talking about people who are religious, who are religious, And they're saying, well, you're not saved because you didn't do this. First of all, Jesus is the Savior. And if you let men, they will, as Paul said, lest any man spoil you. Men will ruin you. And I want you to know my my intent is never to ruin anybody. That is certainly not my desire. But I've been told. Because I've not done certain things, I'm not saved. Well, number one, you're not my judge relative to eternal salvation or damnation. That's God's God's doing. 
Now, you can tell me I might be right or wrong, but to say you're not saved, who, who made you God? Who made you the righteous judge of all the earth and the souls of men? See? Paul said you're, you're, you're baptized into the body. You're also baptized unto death. And why is that? So that our flesh becomes null, null void, and crucified. Crucified or baptized into his death. We're, we're, we're partaking of that part of our personal demise that I, as a person, my flesh is no longer relevant in my life. In other words, my flesh does not dictate, my flesh does not dominate, my flesh does not have authority or lordship over me. Now, that was the prayer of the psalmist in Psalms 119, verse 133. Order my steps in thy word that no iniquity have dominion over me. David didn't want sin to have authority or lordship over his life. Again, we're not talking about missing the mark. We're talking about living a life of sin. David said, don't let sin have dominion, authority, or lordship over me, that I live this way all the time, that, 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 that I'm constantly in sin. I'm, I'm constantly in a state of debasement. I'm constantly in a state of a place of debauchery. I, don't let that have lordship over me, God. Don't let it take over my life. God says, well, then you've got to be baptized into my death, or you've got to be crucified. You, you, the, your flesh must be mortified those inordinate affections, those ungodly, lustful desires, they, 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 they've got to be done away with. Those, those things that impede, they hinder the flow of the Spirit. The flow of the Spirit. Now, why do we die? That we might live in the newness of life, not only in our spirit, but in our bodies. See, now my body is not used as an instrument for sin. We're, we're going to get there here in a little bit later, but I'll go ahead and quote it, Romans 6, 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves therefore unto God. Let me say it like this. If you yield yourself to God your earthen clay jar, your vessel, do you think God is now going to use you in a sinful way? No. Now, you yield yourself to the devil, will the devil use you in a sinful way? You better believe it. You yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, Satan will use you to kill somebody, to slander somebody, to lie on somebody, to fornicate with somebody, to commit adultery with somebody, to get drunk with somebody. See, that's what the devil does. God, when you yield your members to him, he doesn't use them for that. You know, I, I hope and I pray as a minister, God uses me to edify the body and glorify his name. I certainly would not say or teach or preach anything to cause you to sin. That, 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 that's not where I want to take you. 
I want to take you to higher places in Christ. So when the flesh is crucified, the flesh is dead. I'll quote it again, Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. See, you're either going to live for the devil or you're going to live for God. If your life is crucified, you're living for Christ. If your life is not crucified, then you're living for the devil. Matthew 6.24 no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You can't have it both ways. You can't work both sides of the street. You have to make a decision. If you don't make the decision, Christ will make it for you. What? Christ will make the decision for me? Yes. Revelation 3, 15, 16. I know thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. God said, I'll spit you out. God's going to make a decision to amputate you from his body. Cut you off. I'm done. Now, can you come back? Sure. You know, I marvel at the doctrine, you can't lose your salvation. But they can't explain Revelation 3 and 5 where God says, I'm going to blot your name out of the book of life. I'm going to blot your name out. What does that tell you? First of all, it tells you the name has to first be in the book of life. If the name is in the book of life, why then does he blot it out? And that means to completely eradicate it. That word blot there means to completely eradicate it and remove it. It's kind of like taking white out and whiting out something. It's gone. It's gone. Well, you can't lose your salvation. Sure you can lose your salvation. Remember the woman lost the coin? Remember the shepherd lost the sheep? You, you can't lose something if it's never been found or in your possession. Yet we'll hear those statements, well, you can't lose your salvation. Jesus said, I've lost none. But who did, who did Jesus lose? Jesus lost the son of perdition. Why did he lose him? Because he went out, hanged himself, and didn't repent. Now, you, you, you say, well, he was this and that. J Judas Iscariot did no worse than Peter, when Peter's cursing and swearing, I don't know Jesus. I've told you that's the doctrine of confession. I've kept, I've kept, I've kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition. I've kept them all. The only one lost is the son of perdition. Could, could Judas have been redeemed? I believe he could have. Because the only unpardonable sin is the sin of blasphemy and what Judas did was not contributing the works of God to the devil Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver he was a traitor traitor God forgives traitors when you live a life you, you get saved you give your heart to Christ I know I did I received the Holy Ghost when I was 12 years old and I lived right up into my mid to late teens 
got in high school, 11th, 12th grade, and I started backsliding. And there come a point, there came a point when I willfully determined I'm not going to live for God. I did that. Now, you may say, well, you, you wasn't saved to begin with. Don't tell me that. I was saved. I was living right. I had the Holy Ghost. I lived right. But I made a decision just like anybody else. What was that decision? I'm not going to live. I'm not even going to try to live right anymore. And I didn't. And I started doing all sorts of things. And I lived like that until 23 years of age. June the 6th, 1978. I lived like that. It was a choice. Had I, had I died in my sins, I would have been eternally lost. I knew that. I know that to this day. I, I, at least I was honest with myself. I was honest with myself. I knew I was running. I knew I was lost. You know, it, it, it's a sad thing when you're lost and you want to deceive yourself into believing, no, you're not lost. You're still a, you're still a child of God. Hey, come on, folks. If you've robbed a bank, you're a bank robber. I said, if you robbed a bank, you're a bank robber. If you lied, you're a liar. Oh, well, well it's a white one. Oh, okay, okay. You're, see, you're, you're just like the world, uh, transgenderism. There's no such word. Just, just make it up, change it. Make, it. make it adaptable to our lifestyle and where we are at this time. You can't do stuff like that and not be right with God. But... We are being taught error every day. You see, the crucified life is truly an abundant life, but Christ lives in us. And now that he lives in us, we walk daily by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. If I lived by what I saw and by what I heard, I would struggle every day to come here and minister to you. Because I see a lot of negativity. I hear a lot of negativity. I receive negativity. Just, just part of who it is. But, but did not Jesus, did not the Apostle Paul, did, 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 did not all men of God receive negativity? It's just part of the territory. Jesus gave himself for us. Thus he's our ransom. He is our atonement. Why do I say that? Why do I say Jesus is our ransom? Jesus is our atonement. So that you don't ever put any trust in anything that you do relative to salvation and redemption. I want you to know emphatically, David Lankford has never done anything to save himself. Everything that I have done good, everything that I have done righteous, Everything that I've sought to do in, in the right way, I did it because I was saved. Let me tell you, I know what it means to be a sinner and a backslider. I didn't try to do what was right. See, I didn't even attempt to do it because I was, like Paul said there to the church at Colossians, in Colossians 3, you know, I was the, the, the child of disobedience. And I walked in it. But now that I'm redeemed, I walk in what Christ did in forgiving me of my sins. Paul is trying to get the church at Rome to understand. And that's why Romans is such a profound book 
as I shared with you yesterday from Romans 4, verses 11 and 12, how that Abraham was saved, Genesis 15 and 6, but he was not yet circumcised. So he's able to be saved as a Gentile and able to be saved as a Jew through incircumcision, incircumcision. But at one time he was uncircumcised, now he's circumcised. Thus, God says, you're the father of all, meaning Jews and Gentiles. Abraham, like all other men in the Old Testament, had faith in the coming Messiah. He believed there was going to be a substitutionary sacrifice for his sins and not a lamb, a bullock, goat, turtle ram, uh, turtle dove, uh, ram, uh, Isaac, no, none of those things. There was something else coming, the Son of God, to pay sin's debt. And this is why God gave his Son to satisfy the demands of sin's debt. You, you can't take a sinful man and redeem a sinful debt. You just can't do it. You, 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 have to, you have to have something that's able to pay it and pay it in full and satisfy it. And so sin's debt demanded a sacrifice that was without sin. It's, it's kind of like in Revelation 5. The, John sees this book sealed with seven seals, and he's weeping. He's weeping. No man is found worthy to open the book. Did you know that's how you and I were? If we could see in the spiritual realm, there was no quote-unquote provision going through these daily sacrifices, daily sacrifices, and still couldn't find true forgiveness. But it was coming through Jesus the Lord's Christ. It was coming. It was on the way. Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. It was coming. And it came when Messiah was born, walked the earth for 33 and one half years, then was nailed to a cross and crucified. Up to that point, people lived on that side of the cross having faith. Jesus would come and would pay that debt. You and I live on the other side of the cross. We believe he did come. He did pay sin's debt. And, it's, and both acts are based upon faith. No matter which side of the cross you live on, you have to have faith in what Jesus did. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the solace. Have you ever done anything, and you've done it a hundred times, but in the back of your mind you question, did, did I do it right this time? Did, 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 did I get it right? Uh, do you want to go back and look at it just to make sure? Well, that's not needful in what Christ did. It was once and for all, and it was done right. And there's never a reason to go back and check it to see if it's been done right in the first place. It was done right. Why? Because it was God's only begotten Son. It was right in the beginning. It was the perfect sacrifice. It satisfied God's demand. You see, because God is just, it has to be right. And no matter how great 
any man was in the Bible. They were none of them righteous enough to redeem mankind. So God gave his son, Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was not a sinner. There was no sin in his loins. But he who knew no sin became sin. He didn't become a sinner. He just simply took on the sins. Had he, had he given over in the temptation in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 while in the wilderness? He would have disqualified himself in being the perpetuation for man's sin, atoning for man's sin. But he didn't. He couldn't fail because he was God. He wouldn't fail because he was God. But in his humanity, remember in his humanity, he said, Father, if at all possible, would you let this cup pass? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus paid it all. He paid it in full. He paid it in full. And that's why you and I are redeemed by his precious blood. I certainly hope and I pray that you are receiving something from these teachings here in Romans chapter 5, 6, and we're going to go into chapter 7. When we get there, please let me remind you again of our revival meeting at Heritage USA in Fort Mill, South Carolina this coming September the 30th through October the 3rd. Bring your husband, bring your wife, bring a friend, bring a family member, but please come. Let's have church. I'm looking for just a tremendous move of the Holy Ghost to touch each and every one of us. God bless you. Have a great week. I'll see you next week in the Lord. Tune in each Tuesday to watch the TV program and Wednesday on the cable networks. God bless you. I'll see you next week. The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford is brought to you by the faithful listeners and supporters throughout America. If you're looking for an uncompromising message, we invite you to tune in each week to The Voice of Evangelism. For more information, write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. That's P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020.